So I'm encouraged this morning. I'm encouraged this morning as I've been preparing, studying God's Word this last week, preparing for this morning. I'm encouraged by what I see in God, by His plans for community, for His plan for this church. This is great. And it's great for me to see the way that God has designed things. Getting a little ahead of me, Jules. (laughs) The way to see that God has designed things, the way His desires for His church, for His group of people gathered around Him. It's encouraging for me to see it. And I can't wait to tell you about it. Talk about this church. There's a group of people, this group of citizens of the kingdom of God, this family of his. I can't wait to tell you. But I start thinking about this, and I think about as we talk about community in church, in this group of people, how for some people, it seems to be different than what they experience. You know, people are a part of this church or a part of churches all over the world. And yet sometimes people still feel disconnected. They sometimes still feel alone, as though they don't really have much of a connection. Even in church, maybe even in, well, I know, even in this church. That we wrestle with this desire to be connected. I mean, how many of you know what I'm talking about? On this, on Friday afternoon, after you've spent all week trying to keep your kids from killing each other or from you killing them. Or you spend all this time this week, you know, working in your shop, working away, and, or, or working at your job. You know, these things that we do are just the stuff that we're involved in, all these errands that we run, how busy life gets. And it seems how the busier it gets, it seems like the more shallow we're forced to live, the less we're able to connect with each other, with people. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody experience this? I have good news for you today. I have great news for you today about the Word of God, about the Scriptures. It's amazing to me, and I still can't get over it, the way that the Bible, the, 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 the writings of the people of God, the way they continue to speak to us, the way they continue to be relevant in our lives even today, even though they were written thousands of years ago, they continue to be relevant in our lives right now. So this morning, we're going to be hearing from Ephesians, one of the letters that Paul, and for those of you maybe who are new to Paul, Paul is a pastor who lived just a few years after Jesus. And he went around as a pastor to churches, planting new churches, a missionary. And so he's written this letter to one of his churches in Ephesus, which is in today modern-day Turkey. There's still a city of Ephesus still exists. So he's writing to an actual church, to people a lot like us. And so he's writing to this church because in this church they are dealing with this issue. They have Jewish Christians, people who kind of who were um, in Judaism and then became Christians, and so they had this particular idea of God. And there's also non-Jewish or Gentile Christians, Greek Christians, and they're trying to figure out how to live together. And so Paul is encouraging them, and he's especially speaking to the Greek Christians, which we are more like. But there's only a few of you who have uh, any Jewish descent in your lives or in your heritage. But he's talking to us, to people who are non-Jewish. And he's saying this amazing thing. That because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done, you are now fellow citizens in this kingdom of God. You are first-class citizens. Not that you've kind of squeaked in and somehow you have like this lower status. But that because of Jesus and who he is, you are first-class citizens in the kingdom of God. He says, actually, you know, it's even better than that. You are part of this family of God. You 
are part of the family of God. So let's do this. If you would, there's in your bulletin, you'll see there's this white sheet of paper. On one side it has a bunch of questions, but on the other side it has this particular passage that we're reading today. This part of this letter that Paul, this pastor, wrote to a church. So he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and member of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So as we start diving into this, the thing we hear first is that we have a new identity, that there's a new reality, that we are fellow citizens, who are part of this family of God. Now it's interesting here, I want to make this point, is that for many of us, maybe this is a new reality. For some of us, this is a reminder of reality, that we are fellow citizens, that we are are part of the family of God. Now, that's not to say that we don't have memories or maybe even some experience of being far off from God. Many of us can remember those days before we followed Jesus, before we trusted our lives to him, what life was like for us. We can remember the things that we've done that we regret. I wish I could go back and change that. I wish I could live that differently because I saw how badly it went, how, how deeply it hurt people. We know what our lives were like, the things, the decisions that we made, that made man, what was I thinking? That was horrible. Or the stuff that we've done. The things that we've said that we wish we could go back and change. We know what this is like in our lives. We know what life was like before Christ. And living at it now, looking at it now, we can see, like, man, that was ugliness in us. I wish I could change things. Uh, some of us also, too, maybe it's been a while. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and Maybe you don't have much, remem- much memory of before you followed Jesus, but you know since you followed Jesus, those times when you've been really close, when your heart has been in it and you've been close to God, but there, there's times when you've drifted away. That time when, that difference between when your heart was into it and then those times when it was just a head thing, it was just, I'm just doing this because I know I'm supposed to. And you find yourself beginning to go through motions. You start to find yourself that, If someone were to look at your life, the way that you treat your family, or the way that you did your work, they wouldn't be hard time or hard pressed to see that you were a Christian or a follower of Jesus. Or maybe it's the way that that you treat other people. It'd be hard to see Christian or Jesus in you. See, the thing is, we often lose track of our number one love. We drift from our first love. Christ. This this amazing Savior who has saved us. But the amazing thing is here is that Paul talks about this new reality. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but you are fellow citizens of God's people. You've been brought into the household of God. Now, first thing I want to say is that, see, we often think about this as foreigners and aliens, but I hear Paul saying, now you're locals here. You're locals in this kingdom. And with this kingdom comes amazing things. Comes amazing rights to, to, one, to be in this relationship with the living God. 
to be able to speak to him, to pray, to ask for his help, for his guidance in our lives. An amazing right. But also comes with it responsibilities to live as kingdom people now, here. That faith in God, faith in Jesus, has eternal implications. Heaven and hope for our future. But it also has implications now. It has implications for the way we live now. As kingdom people. People living the way that God would have us live here and this time now. Even though we, and there's only a few of you who have any sort of Jewish descent, it's amazing that God has brought us in, brought us into this kingdom. And not only that, more than that, He has made you His family. This place is a gathering of family. Children gathered around God our Father. Maybe some of you are thinking, like, wow, I've never thought of it like that. Or I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I think of this. I told you this is a new reality. A reality that we're often not used to. But you're brought into this place, into this amazing family of God, with a God who loves you, who would go to every extreme to make you right with Him, to make things right, to remove any barriers that are between you and Him. This amazing Father who loves you, who brings you into this family, into this place where at our best, we care for each other. Now I know, I know that we mess this up at times. Many of you have experienced this. I mean, even in our church, as, as good as it is, as much as we care for each other, sometimes we still mess it up. And that's where we come and we ask each other for, for grace and for forgiveness. But this is the amazing reality. And I, for many of you, I want to remind you of this. For some of you, I hope this is new. This new reality that you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. Better than that, you are family of God here. This new, this new family. This new reality. So when we talk about this new reality, now that can be really nice. You can think, okay, you know, you can say what you want to, but the interesting thing is, Paul backs it up. He says, not only am I telling you about a new reality of you being fellow citizens and family, but I'm going to show you why. Not only is the new reality, it's actually built on Jesus. It's built on a foundation, on a cornerstone. This whole thing is built on him. Now it's interesting because we start thinking, okay, explain to me this how it is. See, it's interesting for me is he says built on, on Christ Jesus. Now, some of you, maybe in your church experience, maybe you're thinking, you know, Jesus Christ. Maybe you're thinking that Christ is his last name. Christ is not his last name. Christ is the Greek word anointed. It's the word that Greek Jews used when they tried to explain this idea of Messiah. Or in Hebrew, it would be Mashiach. The Messiah was the one that they were waiting for, this great Savior. Now, you may be thinking, why do they need a Savior? Well, we look around our world and we see, like, we could use a Savior. This world would benefit from a Savior. And so we start thinking about how do we get here? Because as we read in the, in, in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, it talks about how God created. God created this world, and so often, after each day, it says, he created it, and it was good. He gets to the part where he creates us, humanity, and he says, it was very good. So how did this thing that was so good go so wrong? Well, Adam and Eve, these first people, they rebelled against God. God gave them one directive. He said, don't eat from this one tree because then you'll understand good and evil. Don't eat from that tree. Everything will go wrong. 
and they ate from that tree. Despite God telling them not to, they still ate from that tree. They chose to go against what he designed for them. And it was a catastrophe. Not only were their lives wrecked and broken, but all of creation was changed. And so God began this redemptive plan. God began this great plan of redeeming all of creation. That includes our salvation and our place with God, our forgiveness for our sin, but it also includes all of creation. The kingdom is bigger than we even imagine. And so he began working with people like Avram or, or Abram. And he made, a, he made a covenant with him and he became Abraham. God made a covenant with him that you'll have children as numerous as the sands on the seashore. And, you'll, and they will be blessed, and many nations will be blessed by you. That God from the beginning had this plan of including all nations into his redemption. All of us from the beginning. And then he began working through Moses, another one of God's faithful people. And he made this covenant with them. He said, live this way and I will be your God. Or actually, probably better said is, because I'm your God, I want you to live this way, this way I've designed for you. This way that I've designed for you that will help you live your fullest life, but also relate to each other better and relate to me right. But he didn't stop there. He also spoke to one of these great kings in history. His name was David. A great king. And God made a promise to him that said that one of your offspring, one of your descendants, will rule on the throne forever. And so the prophets heard this promise and, 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 taught, and, and they began to speak of this promise in terms of a Messiah or a Messiah, a Christ. They began to foretell when this Messiah would come. And the people of God began waiting for him, hoping for him, realizing they needed this Savior. Things to change, not only in them, in their heart, in their lives, but also in the world around them. And so they waited And they waited with expectation until one day Jesus was born. God the Father sent God the Son to come and live among us. And so he taught and he he explained what the kingdom of God was. The amazing thing, he came and he brought the reign of God with him. It's interesting, maybe it's complicated for us because we don't have kings so much anymore. But it's interesting because where the king is, there the kingdom is. Jesus came and he proclaimed the gospel. He said, the kingdom of God is near. The time has been fulfilled. Repent and believe this good news, that the kingdom has come. One of his uh, close friends, name is John, he, he baptized people. Many people have heard of him as John the Baptist. He was in prison and he asked, he sent some of his, his disciples to Jesus and said, are you the one we've been waiting for or should we, wait, or should we look for another? And Jesus told his followers, as he goes, go tell John this. Tell him that the blind receive sight, that the crippled are walking, that lepers have been healed, that the deaf, they hear things again, that the dead, they have been risen, and that the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus says, look around you. You will see the kingdom breaking through. The kingdom of God worked out in this new covenant. Jesus, who established this new covenant that brings us into it. It's hard for me to explain how important this is for us, that you too, now because of who Jesus is, you too are part of the people of God. But it doesn't stop there. 
Because not only did Jesus come and live among us and teach us about this kingdom, but he also suffered many things and went to a cross. He took up all the things that were wrong in himself and he went to this cross and he died that we might have life. One of the prophets, his name was Isaiah. He lived, I think, about 700 years before Jesus. No, 800 years. And he said, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought him peace, or brought us peace, was upon him. And by his wounds, we have been healed. That Jesus fulfilled the words of the prophets, things that they were speaking hundreds of years before he came. The people have been waiting and hoping, hearing these words from prophets, and they saw them come to life in Jesus as he hung there on a cross, dying that we might have life. In his body, he took up our infirmities, and he took care of them. He reconciled us to God the Father. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, what did I do? Why do I need to be reconciled? This is a complicated question. People ask me this often. The thing is, we don't live the way we're supposed to. I mean, I know that, you know, relative to the next guy, we live okay. I I know that. But when we're honest with ourselves, we start thinking about our lives. Those things in our past, we look back and we think, man, I wish I would have done that differently. I wish I hadn't have done that because I know how much it hurt that person. We start realizing that, you know, we might be as good as our neighbor, Maybe that's not the the bar that we should be measuring ourselves. But there are things that are wrong with us, things that are broken in us. And we need God to help us with this. If we want to be reconciled with God, we can't do it on our own. None of us are capable of it. And yet we rely on Jesus. We rely on him, on this way that he's made for us. Because he died on the cross, we now have a way to God the Father, reconciled made right with him. Now, if that's where the story stopped, that would be pretty good. But it gets better. Not only did Jesus die on the cross, but he rose again. Jesus rose again. He is not dead. He is alive. He is risen. And in rising, he defeated death. In rising, he gave us hope, not just in life someday when we die, but also life more full right now, living as kingdom people right now, with hope that one day we will be with him and there will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrow, no more pain. Things will be good. The fullness of God's presence will be with us. It will be amazing. So not only did Jesus rise again, but then he ascended to God's right hand. For he reigns at God's right hand, King of kings and Lord of lords. That we're not on our own in this world. It's not as if God created this thing and wound it up and set it free and hoped it worked out. God continues to be involved in this world. Continues to be involved in each of your lives. But here's the good news. Not only is he King of kings and Lord of lords, but he's also coming back. We wait for his return. We look forward to his return as this time when the king of kings will make things right and good. On this earth, he will finally set things right, returning this creation back to the way it was supposed to be in the beginning, being good and very good. So Jesus is this cornerstone 
of our community. We have this new reality that as we are no longer foreigners or aliens or outsiders, but now we are fellow citizens and family because of who Jesus is and what he's done. He is the cornerstone of community. He is the cornerstone of this family of God. And as a cornerstone, he is building up this church. He is building up this group of people gathered around him, joining us together, growing us into this holy temple. It's amazing when you start thinking about this, that we are being joined together in Christ, built up together, held together by him, treating each other in ways that we're supposed to, not doing it perfectly, but doing our best at it, encouraging one another, treating each other with humility and love, speaking with each other honestly and courageously with love, realizing that that conflict or, or differences, those are normal and natural, but also realizing that we forgive each other and that we reconcile our differences. Because the thing that holds us together, the cornerstone who is building us up, is more important than the things that divide us. We are communion. We are a common group gathered around Jesus. Because of him, we can endure other things, regardless of what the music is like, or what the color of the carpet is. Our ministry priorities, we have something greater in common, Christ Jesus. We have Jesus in common, this cornerstone of our community. And it's great as I listen to the stories last week, Walter sharing about the church and about the dinner they had over there, a fundraiser, before they even knew the property they were going to buy. And it was at, just before that dinner, right, Walter, that they had the letter saying he'd sell it. How God came through and how this piece of property was not part of the agricultural reserve. Like as amazing or miraculous as that is, is a better word for it, that the church could be built here. Walter reminded us of how God was faithfully at work in this. From the very beginning, even before this church was planted here, God was at work preparing things for a church to be here. And Alma, as you shared today too, about being involved in something bigger than ourselves. This community gathering around, people coming, 30 families, or 30 people coming out to be a part of this church being planted here for the sake of this community. And I'm sure it was difficult at work. I remember Walter telling me about how the place would still smell like beer on Sunday morning after the event that was the night before, setting up chairs. And yet, because of this community, this connection with God, and this, and this joining together as a community, you guys kept coming. And this church was planted. And this building was built. And you are gathered here as part of that story. You are part of something bigger than you realize. So it's encouraging to see that God is building this up. But you know what? Here's the cool thing is that he is using this group, this people gathered around him to draw more people to him. It says here that... Oh, Jules, oh, thanks. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I got talking. So in him, this whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple of the Lord. I want to encourage you in this. 
that you are growing. You see, if you look between the two lines, it says, and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. As I was looking at the Greek, they, they translate it rising because that fits better with building, but it also has this connotation of growing. That as we continue to follow God, we will grow into this holy temple. As we and our relationships continue growing closer to Christ, our relationship grows with Him. We'll also grow in our relationship with each other. When we are based on the cornerstone, our relationship with each other improves. And that is compelling to people. That will draw people here around Christ. When we act like the rest of the world, that's not very impressive. When we act like the rest of the world, it's not going to oppress anyone. They see it all the time. But when we live as kingdom people, when we live out the gospel in our lives, that changes things. That's different. That challenges the way our non-believing friends, that challenges the way they see things. But also encourages them. They think, you know, maybe, maybe there's something to this. But the thing is, we have to live this out. Because when we don't, it doesn't impress anybody. In fact, sometimes it hurts faith. They say, I know that, that you believe in Jesus, but I can't see how you're any different than me. And actually, I see things that you do that I don't think are right. And for us to realize that when we do those things, that we ask for their forgiveness. Say, forgive me, you're right. What I did there wasn't right. I'm still working on that still working on making things right or asking God to forgive me in that and to, to do the right thing, to live as a kingdom citizen now. The thing is, it will draw people. And when they come here and they see us living as citizens of another kingdom, like a family of God, this new reality, it's compelling for them. It begins to change the way they think. So I want to encourage us that there is a reality. For some of you, I want to point out, it's a new reality that in Christ you can be a fellow citizen or a part of this family of God. For some of you, it's a reminder. You've already known this, but it's good to be reminded. But all of it is built on this cornerstone of Jesus. He is the cornerstone of this. Everything is based on Him. So are you following me with this? Do you see how this relates to our question? Or do you see where I'm going with this? to our question about, well, what about me? You talk about community, and I don't feel connected yet. I still feel alone a lot of the time. I want to encourage you that there is a new reality, that you are a fellow citizen. You are part of the family of God. Begin living into that. And it's not just something that you do on your own. It's not just made up. It's based on the cornerstone of Jesus because of his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return, this has meaning for us. It's true now. And you are being built up. Built up into this temple, this holy temple of God. So some of you might be wondering to yourself, okay, I think I follow what you're saying. Like Because of Jesus, we have a new reality. We have a family that maybe we've never really noticed before. We have this family of God. So what does that mean for my life this week? How do I translate that into something tangible for me this week? Well, here's what I want you to do this week. Based on what you've heard this morning, I want you to live into the reality 
this new reality that you are fellow citizens, you are the family of God. And because of that, I want you to connect with one person this week. Just one person. Now, some of you are introverts. Some of you, talking with people is not your thing. You'd rather read a book or go for a walk by yourself. I want to encourage you, step outside of what's comfortable for you and connect with one person. It doesn't have to be a crowd, don't worry. Just one person. Connect with them. Invite them over for for supper or for coffee. A chance to just talk and ask how they're doing. Now, some of you are extroverts. And some of you are thinking, I love this. More people, more the merrier. I can't wait to... For you, the, the, the suggestion is a little bit different. Focus on just one person this week. I know you'll be tempted to talk with lots of people about lots of things. But I want to encourage you to talk with at least one person at a deeper level. At least one person about something more meaningful in your life and their life. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Jason, that's great, but do you realize how busy I am? Do you realize the list of stuff I've got to do this next week? I I know some of you, so yes, I do know how big your list is. But what I'm saying is make a choice. I'm not saying do more. Because I don't think we actually need to do more. I think we need to do the right things or do less. And so I know it's a dirty word, but I'm saying make a sacrifice. Make a choice. I know you've got all these things with your family and with your house and with your work and with church and with uh, things you're involved in, clubs. I know you've got a ton you're involved in. I'm saying cut one of those things just a couple hours this week to connect with somebody. I know. I know we hate it when the pastor says, cut something out, make a sacrifice. But I'm saying if we want to experience this connection as community, if we want to be connected with each other and care for each other, we need to make this choice. We need to make this sacrifice. Connect with one person this week. Just one. In like an hour or two of your time, connect with one person. Imagine how this begins to change things. Imagine how this begins to encourage people around us. Maybe people who come in here and visit. People who come here for the first time, they say, man, something is different here. People are so warm and welcoming. I want to be a part of this. Because I know people say that about our church. People who visit come and say, this is one of the warmest churches I've ever walked into. And, I'm, and I tell I know I love this place. It's faithful people who care about each other. But there are also people in our church who say, you know, it's taken me a long time to get to know people. You know, I'm not, I'm not an outgoing person, and so I don't say a lot. And they've been here for a while, and people still don't know who they are. So we still have a ways to go. But it will begin to change if we connect with each other. If we continue to connect with each other. So this week, I, I hope that you're hearing good news. For some of you who think, man, I don't feel connected. I feel alone a lot of the time. I hope that you're hearing God's word, that there is a new reality, that you are no longer aliens and foreigners and outsiders, but now you've been brought in, your locals, fellow citizens, members of this family, based on Jesus, the cornerstone of community. So connect with one person this week. One person. Amen.